Hi, everybody. Good morning. Hey, it's great to be back together with you in person. I know some of the precautions that we have to take are a little bit cumbersome at this point, but uh, I think it's worth it to be back together again. If you're um, still watching online, just hang in there. Hang in there. We're almost out of it. And uh, we look forward to being together with you again soon. Uh, my name is Adam. I serve on staff here as the pastor of student ministries. Uh, I originally was not supposed to speak today. We were supposed to be uh, led in our study by Pastor Matt. Uh, if you didn't hear, he uh, fell off a dirt bike and broke three ribs. So I know, it's, it, he flew a little too close to the sun last week. Um, I'm sure that's not only very painful, but he's real frustrated uh, at, at missing everybody, wanting to be here, wanting to share from God's Word what he's been studying. Uh, so go ahead and be in prayer for him. Pastor Knievel hopes to be back next week. But he, is, he might be going skydiving on Saturday. You know, we're not sure. All right, hey, we finished up the book of Malachi. And then last week we talked about when fear meets faith, which I think is a very relevant topic. Uh, today is something similar. We're talking about when division meets devotion. When division meets devotion. And the reason we're talking about some of these things is this. Uh, our world... Um, Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. In, but not of. You've heard this said probably before, and our world is going through some tumultuous things, to say the least, to put it very lightly. And some of the, the evils that we've encountered lately uh, have been random and unbiased, and some have not been. Uh, some things have been out of our control, and some have not been. Some things are born out of ignorance and others are born out of hate. And with all of these things going on from a, a pandemic to racial issues to government issues, uh, it, it's helpful and, and not only helpful but necessary that the church address some of these things biblically. We want to be part of the conversation, yes, but we also want more than that. You know, we want to spearhead change if it glorifies God and points people to Jesus. So with that in mind, we're going to read a section of scripture today that might seem a little obscure, uh, but I think is relevant uh, for what we're dealing with right now. So go ahead and turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at, at three things as we walk through this text. Three things. First, a problem. A problem. Second, an answer. And third, a practice. A problem, an answer, a practice. All right, before we go there, if I could ask a favor of you, uh, show me, if you would, some grace this morning. Uh, there's a fine line that I have to walk, and, and some, whoever is preaching in the next couple of weeks will need to walk as we try to address some things that are going on. And uh, I have looked over my manuscript with the intention of being appropriate and loving, uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some things that people don't want to hear. So I hope that you, though, will give me the benefit of the doubt and assume that I have everyone's best interest at heart and that I desire to share from God's Word for His glory and our good. And we'll talk about that in a second. So first, would you pray with me before we start? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this day. It belongs to you. Thanks for the, uh, the chance that we have to gather together. God, I pray for those uh, who are not able to gather together yet. 
I pray that they would feel encouraged, uh, that, the, that they would know they're still part of the, the body of Christ and uh, that they are loved. Lord, as we uh, look at your word this morning and we think about some things that are going on in our world, everyone is coming uh, into this room probably with things that they would want to share or things that they have read, and, and, uh, and that's good. I pray that you would help us to be involved, but that you would also help us to be humbled to hear from you what it is that you might have to say. God, we lift up all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, I didn't see before how many... How many kids are in here that went to VBS this year? Or how many, let me say this, how many kids are in here that are usually over there with Stephanie? Yeah? Okay, a couple people. I'm concocting a plan with Max Witt where we can, we can make it so you can be in here and still have kids ministry. We're working on it. We're working on it. I'll let you know when we come up with it. Uh, I want you guys to imagine something with me, okay? Ready? Imagine the worst day at school. The worst day. Okay, let's say you stayed up too late, or maybe your mom or dad stayed up too late, and you know they, they came to wake you up in the morning, and you were running behind, and you, you couldn't have your breakfast because you were running so late, and you were grabbing all your school stuff, and you had to you almost missed the bus, but you just got on the bus, thankfully. But then, you know, because you were running, you ran through a puddle, and you ruined your new shoes, and then you tripped when you fell off of the when you got off of the bus when you were going to school, and you bruised your elbow, and then you you go into class and you started with math. Ugh. Then in math, you broke your favorite pencil. Everything's going wrong, right? Everything's going wrong, except you always have the best part of the day to look forward to. What's the best part of every day? Lunch. Exactly. You have lunch to look forward to. Now, I love peanut butter. Does anybody else love peanut butter? Okay. I love peanut butter. In the Swing family, we put peanut butter on bananas. We put them on pancakes. So, of course, I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Right? You've heard me talk about this probably too many times from up here. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But what I have in this bag is so much better. I know it doesn't probably look very appetizing, but that's part of the beauty of it. This is an Adam Swing peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It is, uh, uh, the crust has been cut off of course. Uh, for the, the peanut butter, it's, it's half creamy and half crunchy. And there's a method to this. You put the peanut butter on the bread sides, and then you put the jelly in the middle. It's not just one slice is peanut butter, one slice is jelly. That's all wrong. Uh, the, the jam is strawberry instead of grape. And of course, it's cut diagonally because for some reason, sandwiches taste better that way. And now you leave it in the bottom of your bag so that all the peanut butter kind of scrunches to one side, and then when you take a bite, every bite is a different, a different adventure, you know? And my, my, the rest of my meal has been perfectly curated to complement the peanut butter. I've got barbecue chips and a juice box uh, and an apple, of course. Uh, and I'm, I'm watching the, the clock tick away. It's my last class before lunch. It's 11.59. And I'm watching it and watching it. Do you feel it? Do you feel the tension? Finally, it's 12 o'clock, lunchtime, okay? I take out my perfect meal, and we go down to the lunchroom, and I get out my sandwich, and my mouth is watering. And then I sit down. You know what happens next? Here comes my friend. You'll never believe who it is. You'll never believe who comes to sit next to me. Kenny Trotter. 
Kenny's great. Love Kenny. Probably my best, my best school friend. You know what happens, though? You know, you know the issue? Kenny's allergic to something. What's he allergic to? He's allergic to peanut butter. I don't know what to do. You know, there is a separate table where some of the kids with peanut butter allergies, they'll go and sit over there. And, but Kenny really wants to talk to me about his, his baseball game that he had this weekend. And now I have a, a dilemma, right? Is it okay to eat my sandwich, yes or no? What do you guys think? Oh, I hear, I hear yeses and nos. It's tricky. Maybe a different question is, is should I eat my sandwich? Okay. It's tricky. We'll come back to this in just a second. But I, I, I sensed this morning that we would have people that were kind of lazy with their answer. So I've pre-divided you all into yes and no. Gracie, do you want to be yes or no? Yes. You want to be yes. This side, you're yes. Congratulations. Let's split kind of halfway through the middle. You guys are yes. So when I call on you or when I point to you, I, I need an emphatic and an enthusiastic yes. Can we do that? You're just the sign holder. Ready? Yes. Great. I need somebody over here. Emily, you get the no. She wanted the no. No. Are you guys, are you happy about being the no section? No. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Remember, split kind of in the middle, so I'll need an, an enthusiastic no from this side. Ready? No. Good job. We're going to be doing this a lot, so get ready for it. You can put those down, but when I call on you, feel free to throw those up. This is just a reminder for everybody. You guys up there, you thought you could hide here this morning. So if you're up in the balcony, I need a, a mumbling, grumbling, I don't know, maybe. Great, perfect. Excellent. Okay. We're going to encounter some questions, and we'll have these answers uh, as we go. Okay. This is what the Corinthians are dealing with. Let's see. Let's take a look at the problem. Here we go. Now, concerning food. I don't know about you, but you guys, but anytime scripture says, now concerning food, I'm interested, okay? I'm interested, in, and you'd be surprised that God has a lot to say about food, actually. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. All right, we'll stop there. This letter to the Corinthians is Paul's response to them writing and asking him questions. We have questions about God, and we have questions about ways that we're supposed to live. And so uh, if ever you read an epistle or a letter from Paul, and it looks like it just goes you know, real fast, paragraph by paragraph, through a bunch of different issues. That's because he's got limited time, and it takes a long time for a message to travel. And one question that they have is about food. Now, in Israel's history, they uh, grew accustomed to the idea of making sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to God. It helped them get a, a better understanding of sin and the need for atonement and redemption. And it wasn't perfect, but it ultimately pointed to Jesus, who would be a once and final sacrifice. And now the church has come after that. And so generally, Christians are not uh, practicing or observing animal sacrifice anymore. However, 
the Jews who didn't accept Christ as their Messiah, who, who still were around in that day, were continuing to present animal sacrifices. And also, it was a pagan practice. So uh, think Greek and, and Roman gods like Zeus. It was so prevalent in their city that it was hard to escape. People would offer an animal sacrifice to whatever god in hopes that they would do something for them. So you see how it's a little different. And so the Corinthians are wondering how much is it appropriate to engage with this? I'll give you an example. Markets would have very cheap meat for sale because everybody is making sacrifices all the time. They have a lot of meat, and so they have to sell a lot of product very quickly. Uh, if you've ever gone to the grocery store and you see manager's special, really what that's saying is, we've got too much meat here. Please take some. It's going bad. All right? And so Christians are wondering, is it okay to buy this meat? What do you guys think? No. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> tricky. Here's another one. Friends and, and neighbors and business relationships in town would often invite these Christians over for dinner. And then for dinner, they would have meat that had been sacrificed to one of these gods. And so Christians are wondering if it's okay to go. What do you think? Yes. No. Uh, I love that section up there. <laughs> It's tricky, isn't it? And Christians are divided on the issue, and there are battle lines being drawn up. Those who felt like it was okay were being really insensitive towards those who didn't. And what they would do would say, I I'm going to this person's house, and you you'd better come along. And those who didn't feel like it was okay looked on those who went with judgment. Uh, some scholars think that this might have even been a, a racially charged issue because Christians with Jewish backgrounds leaned one way and, and Christians with Gentile backgrounds leaned another way. Their, their culture and their context played a role. Does that sound familiar? Now certainly in 2020 America, we're not struggling with a, a meat problem right now necessarily, not in the same way. But people are divided over all sorts of issues. Should masks be required everywhere? Yes. No. I, I, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I'm saving you guys for a minute. Do I reserve the right to not wear a mask? Yes. No. You don't have to believe what I'm, what, you know, your side, but we're just making it go faster. Is the global economy more important than the small group of people who might get a virus? Yes. No. Is the percentage of people who have been affected large enough, though, to warrant organized caution? Yes. No. Is everyone who doesn't wearing a mask doing it because they hate me and mine? Yes. No. Should I roll my eyes when the greeter at the door asks me to maintain social distancing? Does America suffer from systemic racism? Yes. No. Or is racism more of an issue with individuals and prejudices within the human, broken human heart? Yes. 
Have we been making progress as a country? Yes. Is that not fast enough? Are police funds mismanaged? Yes. No. Is protesting an effective way to address a broken system? Yes. No. Is violent protesting? Yes. No. Is it worth it if lives, lives are lost? Yes. No. This is supposed to feel kind of weird, right? And issues in the church are no exception either. Uh, are jeans acceptable to wear to church? Yes. Are flip-flops? No. Are certain things irreverent? Yes. Can Christians see R-rated movies? No. What if it's just language, though, and not nudity? Yes. What if the language, though, is relevant to time and horror of a non-fiction work? No. Isn't Passion of the Christ rated R? Yes. Can Christians swear? No. Can Christians drink alcohol? Yes. Should Christians drink alcohol? No. What do you think? These are intentionally some divisive questions, by the way. I heard a story uh, recently. I was watching something by Ravi Zacharias, and he was talking about how he heard uh, that uh, horses in the wild, when attacked, will gather together in a circle, face each other, and kick outward at their enemy, their attacker. Donkeys, on the other hand, face, in, uh, face outward and kick each other. And sometimes the church kicks itself, arguing and belittling each other over small picture things. Uh, Freddie Gage said this, the Christian army is the only army that shoots and buries its wounded. Now, there's this issue with the Corinthians. And whoever wrote to Paul expressed that they feel like they have the answer. Did you catch that? He says, yeah, yeah, all of us possess knowledge. Whoever wrote said something along those lines. Have you ever met anyone, a Christian, who used that as their kind of scapegoat? Hey, listen, I'm a Christian. You're connected to the Spirit of God, and I'm connected to the Spirit of God. That means I'm, I'm connected to the power source, so, so I've got the knowledge, so you, you better not challenge me on anything that I believe. My knowledge is infallible, so don't, don't question it. And Paul says, hey, listen, listen. People think they have the answer to everything, but they don't know as they ought to know. And their knowledge is puffing up because it's lacking in what? Love. Now, don't get me wrong here. It is okay for Christians to get disagree. In fact, it is inevitable, but pride is dividing them. Conflict isn't dividing them. Pride is dividing them. So a question for you here is this. Are you a proud Christian? If you think that you have all the answers, and you, if you staunchly believe in one answer or another to every question that I just asked, there's a chance that you might be. What does Paul say next? What does Paul say next? Here's Paul's answer. Therefore, as, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are, uh, are all things and for whom we exist, 
and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Interestingly, in this case, there is, in fact, a correct answer. Isn't that funny? We don't get that all the time in Scripture. Sometimes God leaves things gray. Paul says, hey, these idols that uh, these animals are being sacrificed to, they are false gods. They don't really exist. They're false gods and they're fake gods. Their statues and their temples are, are merely wood and stone. Furthermore, the animals in question were created by God, not by Zeus. So the ones who said, we feel like it's okay to eat this meat, were in fact right. You guys won. Good job. Yeah, this, time, this side did. It's okay for Christians to seek answers. In fact, Christians should seek answers. We should research and resource ourselves and seek truth. But we need to know where to look. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them. That means make them holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Quotes from famous people are all well and good, but we need to weigh what we read against what God says. And if your conscience was stirred with any of those questions that I ask, great. But the primary way to differentiate between your conscience and the Spirit of God moving in you is through this, through the Word of God. If your conscience tells you one thing and the Bible tells you another, that's not the Spirit of God working in you. That's your depraved self coming out. We need to be prepared to hear truth. Some people, that was this side, uh, need to be prepared with humility to be wrong. Even when the, the opposition is obnoxious. And when the truth comes out, this side, we need to prepare, be prepared to also have humility and not obliterate our opponent. We need humility in the way that we interact with others. I think uh, I, I love fantasy and science fiction, and I think sometimes Christians are afraid of fiction, and I, I think that's a bummer. There's a, a book by Orson Scott Card called Ender's Game. Has anybody seen that movie, Ender's Game? Great movie. Love it. Uh, it's about a, I won't spoil it for you, but it's about a, in the book, it's a six-year-old boy uh, who is trained up to be a, a military general in space. So you know it's good. And they fight aliens and stuff. Okay? And at one point, uh, Ender, the main character, wins a battle. And it's really important, but a lot of lives were lost on both sides. I'll just leave it at that. And he starts arguing with his commanding officer, played by Harrison Ford, and Harrison, you know, Ender is really upset, and Harrison Ford says, what does it matter? We won. And Ender says, no, the way we win matters. The way we win matters. We need to have humility whether we're right or we're wrong. Uh, James 4.12 says, humble yourselves and God will exalt you. 
And, and to say humble yourselves uh, is an, an action word that is applied to the self. If I said exercise yourselves, how might, how might you do that? You exercise, right? You don't, you don't wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know, I feel exercised today. I feel exercised. In order to attain or achieve humility, you must humble yourself. It is a proactive thing that we do. It's not passive. Sometimes we, we pray for humility and we just wait for God to, to put that on us. And sometimes as Christians, we think that humility is maybe embarrassment. And it's not the same. As Christians, we need to find the, the practice of humbling ourselves, exploring what that looks like. Paul answers them. And then he moves on. Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. This is the practice. However, uh-oh, that's not good for this side. He gave you an answer. He said, you guys are right. And then he said, however... Not all people possess this knowledge. Some, through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol. Their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you also sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble." Paul goes on to talk about their practice. And what he's saying is this. What we do is as important as what we know. Some people in that community had an, a history with idol worship. So while technically, technically it's okay to eat this meat, they associate it so strongly with their past that it feels sinful to them. So for them to partake would be sinful, and for us to encourage them to partake would be sinful. I need to, I'm going to publicly apologize to my wife. Uh, I, uh, my brother and I were watching a show um, that we wanted to watch that just, it was not appropriate. It like crossed a line for us in our faith. And uh, it was such a good show though that we, we tried to find a way to watch it and we found um, a really great resource that actually is a, it's a filter for your TV shows and stuff. Come talk to me about it. I'll tell you about it. Um, but I kept going to my wife and saying, hey, you should watch this show. It's so good. I want you to see it. I want to enjoy it with you. And don't worry, I've got this filter. And she said, no, my conscience demands that I don't participate in that, no matter how clean you scrubbed it. Likewise, many people in that town would be confused by the Christian message if they said, there's only one God, and yet we're eating meat that had been sacrificed to Zeus. So while technically, technically, there is a correct answer to this issue, Christians need to be prepared to relinquish their rights for the benefit of others. 
You guys can come up. Thanks, band. Come on up. What Paul is saying is this. The driving principle behind the way that our faith interacts with others is love. The driving principle for the way that our faith interacts with other people is love. It is okay to disagree. It is okay to seek answers. It is not okay to be unloving. Half of the group was being insensitive. Half of the group was being judgmental. And all were lacking in love for one another. So while technically, while technically, Kenny can go sit at another table, we can talk about food and baseball and everything later, the loving thing for me to do would be to put it away and wait. I'll eat later. Sure, I'll be hungry. I'll suffer a little while longer. Let me ask you a question. Isn't that what the gospel is? Isn't that what the the gospel looks like? The word gospel means good news, but before there's good news, there's bad news. There is a problem. Here's the problem with the gospel. The people are infected with sin. And our holy and good God doesn't participate with sin. There is an answer to that problem. The answer to that problem is separation from God. Technically, we are destined as sinful sinners who sin to be eternally separated from a holy God. That is the answer. There is nothing unjust about that. And even the fact that we have our our small lives here on earth is still an act of mercy and goodness from God. But, but, however, John says that God is love. And John says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. He relinquishes his his rights and endures suffering on our behalf. All so that we can be restored to a right relationship with him. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Here's my challenge to you. Be loving this week. I know that that probably sounds simple. But as we engage with these issues that are prevalent right now, replace apathy with intentional love. Sacrifice your rights so that you can minister to others without hindrance. Your best case As a Christian, your best case for the gospel is not truth that is unloving and it's not love that is dishonest, but speaking the truth in love. Knowledge must be tethered to it. Let love determine what you eat, where you eat, when you eat, who you eat with, how you eat. Let love determine not just the facts and statistics that you post online, but how you interact with people who disagree with you. 
Let love determine how you interact with people that ignore your facts. Let love determine how you hear things that are contrary to what you've grown up listening to. Husbands and wives, focus less on the content of your conversation and more on the methodology of how you disagree. Truett Cathy was the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said, food is essential to life, therefore make it good. Disagreeing is part of the Christian walk. Conflict is part of the Christian walk. Therefore, do it well. Um, I love this, this body of believers. And unfortunately, I, I say this almost as a reprimand to us. There are some amazing qualities uh, that Mission View as a body shares. Uh, humility in the way that we speak to one another and disagree with one another I don't think is necessarily our strong suit. When you go and post something online, think about how can I be most loving in this instance? And even if I have a point to make, how can I still come off as, as kind and caring and gentle and caring about the people that I agree with and the people that I disagree with? And have this mind amongst yourselves, which is that of Christ Jesus, because he humbled himself on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. We're thankful for the fact that you didn't just care about winning, uh, but you cared about saving. And the route that you took to accomplish that was letting the character of love that you maintain show itself in the person of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. And so now we are able to have a right relationship with you. God, I pray that as we interact with some of these issues, I pray that you would help us as we disagree. I pray that you would help us to seek what is right. Uh, as Micah says, I pray that you would help us to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.